Hello, and welcome to Accelerating Support, a podcast hosted by Kristen Barker and Chris Buttonham of Obi. Here you'll learn how industry leaders are leveraging tech, trends, and best-in-class techniques to accelerate work and enable self-service for their support organizations. Today's episode was so much fun. We were joined by Matthew Karin, Head of Customer Support at OpenTable. OpenTable is a real-time online reservation network for fine dining restaurants. Make online reservations, read restaurant reviews from diners, and earn points towards free meals. And I think we'd all agree that now is the time to support your favorite restaurants. On this episode, Matthew shared his experience on leadership within support organizations, the importance of support culture, and how knowledge management is vital to accelerating support, but often overlooked. There's a lot of great tactics that you might not have thought of in this episode that Matthew has used in his career to become a better leader and accelerate support. But best of all, Matthew is a really kind and genuine guy, so you're not going to want to miss this one. Cool. Awesome. Well, hey, Matthew, how's it going? Very well. Thank you for having me. Awesome. We're excited to uh, have you on the podcast. So we like to kind of kick off every episode with the same question. Um, my question for you is, how do you define accelerating support? Uh, excellent question. Um, really about getting in front of that expectation of the the consumer base, which you, you can't lump up into one group. You, you got to segment up the consumer base and the group that's leading the, the trend, the one that's buying, the one that's making those, those economic decisions. So the millennial generation right now, what are their expectations? How do you exceed their expectations? Um, and then the generation to follow, what are their expectations? So you're not following, but you're leading. Uh, that's where I tend to really focus is who's your, your, your generational breakdown of your customer base and how can you be where they want to be? Um, every generation, every demographic looks for that effortless experience, but the definition of effortlessness has, has changed as, mm-hmm. uh, technology has advanced, economics have advanced. Um, so just what your definition can't be it. it it's got to be that of your customer base. So, always maintaining that that heightened sense of sensitivity towards what is their definition of effortless how do they find that how do they interact with that and how do we again wow them um that to me is really accelerating it okay cool no i I like that i like that a lot um so i mean i guess kind of keeping it on top of trends and, and understanding like where your consumer base wants to be um how do you find that like technology ties into that initiative yeah more and more it's the app uh, more and more it is, uh, even beyond that, it's, it's the cell phone, you know, that is, that's the commonality that unites all of us, uh, from a technology standpoint, right? It, it is no longer the computer and it's no longer the internet. It is broadband. Um, so the app, the decision-making within apps, the purchasing going on within apps, the customer experience, the connectivity, all of that, it, that's where our customers are right now. So, mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's then what is that next generation of technology connecting those, right? Typically, to, to be fair, the support industry is always a bit behind when it comes to technical development. Mm-hmm. Logical, it's understandable. Usually support organizations consider that to be of cost, not of revenue generation, right? So mm-hmm. you're not going to invest in that first. Um, but now where the, the beauty of, of COVID is it's forced all companies to the same playing field. 
And now the customer experience, the ability to solve issues, the ability to make things easy, um, to make things be not a one-time transaction, but, but conversive. That's where you're seeing now investment in support happening for relatively first time and getting that technology there, but it all comes back down to that connective experience in their hand. Um, and then creating that experience to look and feel like the day-to-day -day friendly transactions. So more and more technology is trying to make it to where texting with a friend, I'm texting with a colleague, I'm reaching out to a support organization. It's the same physical experience for me. It's the same emotional connection. It's the same level of commitment, which is virtually none. But yet the response has to be vast. You know, mm -hmm. um, more and more expector, uh, customers expect to give less and get back more. And so how can you do that as an organization? How can you do it at scale as well? You know, just giving away free things all the time. Sure. But there's cost. You can't do that to everybody. And then if you don't, people get pissed. Right. So it's it, it's that overall uh, eliminating time between action, perceived error within mm -hmm. action, solving that error. And that's where that connectivity, being there in their palm and being accessible in their palm eliminates that time and creates a better opportunity for saving the experience, if not turning around altogether. So how do you uh, at OpenTable define and measure? You, you talked a little bit about that um, in terms of maybe a conversational user experience, um, uh, like text messaging, but you, um, you mentioned it's really up to what the customers um, want to experience and that has evolved over time. So how have you guys defined that and then measured it so that you are sort of moving as, as those times evolve um, and giving the support ex uh, experience that the customers are actually expecting? Yeah, we, we define it in a couple of ways. Um, you know, the, the first is obvious, those, the external surveys. So your customer satisfaction scores. Um, those will tell you the emotion of your customer immediately after the interaction with your team. Mm -hmm. The other definition though, the, the, the biggest definition of your success or failure within a product and how it interacts with your community is simply your contact rate. No one calls you because it's working smooth. No one emails mm -hmm. you because it was flawless. No one reached out to you on chat because it made sense. So every contact is a perceived service failure. Are we driving down those contacts? Are we educating our customers? Are we educating our product developers? So that's a big part of what we've used to define it. Uh, without getting really scientific and kind of cute with the tools and metrics that you can do, all of those have value. I'm not uh, diminishing them. But at the end of the day, the most positive or definitive behavior a customer is going to make is reaching out. Um, and then when they do, how do you solve that? And that's uh, the CSATs. What we've really done Instead of focusing so much on what are the institutional things that I can control to try and create a higher CSAT score, a higher NPS score, what is the software, what is the investments, you can, like I said, support technology is always behind. So you're, you're constantly chasing that. The only thing that I can really do to ensure we're there at the now is empower my, my customer service reps. Mm -hmm. So when we identify that there's a disconnect between what our customers want, what we're providing, what can we control is the next question. And the answer actually is very, very little in, in all reality. You know, even if you're the leader of a business, there's not too much that you can control because everything within the now has either been decided or is being decided. The only one who's in control of the now is the agent. So what is preventing them from having that experience? 
our own guidelines, our own QA expectations, our own quality performance measurements, which check the box versus creating an experience. So what we ended up doing is asking ourselves, well, first of all, if you want to have this dynamic, fantastic customer experience, it absolutely starts with your employees. Mm-hmm. They can't fake it. They can't all of a sudden be treated like trash, but then spit out gold. And I, I learned that personally from starting as an outsourcer, being an agent from an outsourced environment where you are quite literally in that experience. You're, you're paid by one company you identify as another. And it was never replicated. It, w- it was always down to the individual. So fine. Let's not try and make this a systemic thing. Let's just focus on our people. So then the best part of that then is controlling your culture. So during an offsite, just simply asking my leaders, let's define our culture. Let's be in control of our culture and not it be a happenstance of the individuals that we hire. But this is definitively where we want to go because Mm -hmm. our culture is therefore our customer experience. So what are the words in which we as leaders are going to define and hold ourselves accountable and hold our supervisors accountable to creating and, and, and defining this experience? And then that will be the guidelines within our QA. Um, and so that's what we went on doing and, you know, posted notes, like what makes sense, what is, what is a good experience, what isn't a bad experience, got all down to it. Here's our five terms. And so that's what we now hold to is not, hey, did you check the box? Did you state their name? If they said their full name, did you say their full name, right? Did you slip up and call them Matt? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, that's just kind of like weed semantic stuff. It's, did you take personal accountability of the experience? Yes, I did. Did you find an innovative solution to help in them? Were you respectful at all times? Mm-hmm. Did you communicate your understanding? And the last one that we, we hold to, we couldn't find the right words. So we just made it up. Did you kind of like connect with them? Were you buddies with them? Did you ask them personal questions? You know, were you human-y? And we're like, oh, you know what? <laughs> Let's stick with that word. Like so that. human-y is, is one of our pillars. And so- <laughs> That's because that's an ever evolving thing that has been our focus is hire people that are great people, teach them how to use the system and then empower them to be them. And then the QA guidelines are just making sure that we cover all our, our legal requirements, that we have some consistency, that we have a scalability, a training regimen. Um, but really at the end of the day, it comes down to just allowing an agent to be a person, be an adult yeah. and then and let them handle the customer the way they see fit. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think even from like a consumer perspective, right? Like I'm sure everybody's reached out to a support line and you're more inclined to enjoy your experience if you're actually like having a conversation with a human. Exactly. Um, so have you guys shifted to the remote work in this pand- pandemic? Like were you office focused before? Yeah, we very much put a lot of pride in our office. We spent mm-hmm. a lot of money to okay. make sure they're beautiful places that really <laughs> drive community and gathering and spending a lot of time together and, uh, COVID stipulations go in the face of that. Um, So we have had to adjust, go go to work from home. We're primarily like our our main hub for support is in Denver. Um, So we always have to have this air flexibility uh, just from the the erratic weather pattern, especially snow. Mm -hmm. Um, So this kind of started off as that. It's like, hey guys, similar similar to a snowstorms, everyone go home because we empower our our CSRs with laptops. we have obviously globally done the same, same approach and we're taking the stance of for the remainder of 2020, we will be a remote environment and we'll figure that out in 2021. But we definitely strongly desire to get back into the office. Um, and, and, it, and it comes from, you know, again, so much of my experience as a leader of a support organization came from the experience of being a CSR. And 
again, no one calls you to tell things are great. So the <laughs> conversation, the contact, that that interaction with your customer, for the most part, is negative. Mm-hmm. Work at home, I can't control the environment. Working in an office, I can. And so let's do mm-hmm. everything and anything that we can think of to go four times at. So if they're going to be negative experience on the phones, then the experience in the office needs to be of the utmost positive. They need to be serviced. They need to be treated oh. as they are the most special person in the entire company. Hmm. And, and it comes down to just how do you greet them when they walk in the door? Uh, and the other big thing I found with agents is that if you treat them with dignity and respect as if adults versus handholding micromanagement and treat them like children is, is what the experience feels like, they're going to give you that discretionary effort. The longer you're at home, though, again, because you can't control that environment, you know, something negative happens in that environment. It's out of your control. And therefore, you're not able to be that leader for your people. Um, I'm very clear with my expectations for my managers. It is not we create and hit these KPI scores. It is quite clearly your job as a leader of this support organization is to have a positive and influential uh, impact in the livelihood of these people. They're to be better people because they worked here. If they're better employees, that's a benefit. If they create a better customer experience, that's the output. But the goal is to service and create the, a situation where these people can be the best version of themselves in, in all aspects. And we truly do believe that belongs in the, in the office environment for that type of community support, resurgence, observation, um, but also just support system. Yeah, I actually agree. That's it's almost like an unpopular opinion these days, right? But yep. um, I'd actually tend to agree. So I have two questions uh, uh, on that point. So one, when you do, um, when you are in a position to shift back to in office um, environment, what does that look like? Are you entertaining the ability for a hybrid remote situation, knowing that? people will get comfortable working at home, things like that. Is it a, an all or nothing type situation? And then the second part to that is a bit of a meaty question is what are you doing right now to, to mitigate some of that? Cause I love what you're, you're saying about, you know, how the CSR should be treated and, and mm-hmm. how that then ends up in the experiences that your customers have. How are you, or what are you doing? What have you learned um, in the last few months to try and mitigate that? Um, amidst this pandemic yeah um you know moving back into an office is definitely the loaded question that every company's asking yeah you know it starts off with your capex expenses what do we now have to purchase yeah um you know such as an example you know like you can put your foot under a card and it'll open up a trunk of your door they're building those things for offices. It's like you put your foot near, you don't have to touch the door. Basically eliminating any reason why someone's physically touching a, a material that other people will touch frequently, right? What are those other things? What is, uh, like we used to really, I mean, the industry we're in, we'd really celebrate like community lunches, potlucks, stuff like that. So what's the new approach to that? Some of it is a wait and see. Some of it is we'll try something out and oh, that didn't work, that did work. Um, that that's the question I'm asking everybody is yeah. what does that environment look like? But certainly with a lot more safety protocols. Um, the other big thing for support industries, we, we tend to all be kind of militant about attendance. It's the mm-hmm. lifeblood of a yeah. support organization, right? Like we don't make things. We produce minutes of support on the phone. And if you're not mm-hmm. there, the machine is down, right? 
that's to me the biggest change that's going to happen in all of support organizations is a significant lax on absenteeism, on attendance, uh, adherence to schedules, and then overall, you know, calling out attendance in general. Do you then combat that with more PTO days? Do companies go towards, we're going to eliminate the PTO bucket, make it an unlimited PTO, and then there, sick days are all covered. Things like that. But there's benefits and there's negatives to employees within that aspect. Um, so that's a big question mm-hmm. in general. But what are we doing right now is, is the one that I can definitely answer a little bit more directly. Again, how do you maintain that your employees are number one when your business has completely gone over end and you need yep. to protect your customers because they're what pay for your employees? It's a difficult challenge nonetheless. And it's certainly one that I don't accept the sole responsibility to answer. Uh, we constantly ask the CSRs, what's your feedback? This is your office. We're the ones who are accountable for making the decisions, but this is yours. And so how do you want it to be run? Now that we're not an office, this is your community. How do you want to be involved? Mm-hmm. Um, they've issued feedback. They've made suggestions. We've obviously done so on the leadership side. So one of the ones that we did very early on was let's not eliminate the team meeting which isn't as necessary as it was before because communication is a lot more streamlined in this environment. Let's keep it because people need this to connect because what's not happening is a social element. Mm-hmm. And then the other is as we have information come down, as we change policies, as we build in new products, how can we communicate it to the mass? Let's do something. And so the team just started working on like funny videos, things like that, that, that connected with them. But that was when we had availability. Well, what ended up happening with restaurants and states closing and opening, our volume just blew up. So we no longer had that availability. So what can we do then? And the biggest thing that came up is because of all the calls, because of all the volume, because of the company responding to meetings between are we going to furlough, we got to furlough, all that stuff. Support is stretched, meaning like the, the support for the agents is stretched. So what can we do to better set up our agents for success? Well, we have always for 20 years been 24, seven, 365 based off of the feedback, based off of the experience, we decided that, you know what customers, we're actually going to put you on second priority right now. Our agents, the experience you're having is the number one. We're going to actually reduce our hours of operation. Uh, we're going to shut down our line at about 10 PM mountain time so that our employees don't have to work till midnight where they don't have much support. We mm-hmm. can consolidate their shifts so they can spend more time within their, their kind of uh, social network. They can get more support system research. They can get more leadership coverage. We're going to do it for them. Mm-hmm. And the impact of the customers will be the impact. Obviously we did the data. It was a fringe number, yeah. but they can adjust their behavioral pattern for the mass of our community. So that was something that we did. And we did it about five weeks ago. We still get in incredibly positive comments about it. Um, and how much just the agents truly did appreciate that we took that, that type of a stance on, on changing something we haven't changed in 20 years because this is a unique time. Mm-hmm. This is a way that we need to support you guys so that you can support our customers. And we've seen that. Wow. Wow. That's cool. That's not the answer I think I expected, but, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's really cool. Um, so talking about supporting the CSRs, what are the other things that you do COVID, no COVID to, you know, empower the people uh, that support your customers um, in terms of technology, in terms of processes and so forth? Yeah, I really believe a lot of it, especially again, when it comes to being a CSR, one of the biggest mental blocks within the whole thing, honestly, is the headset. Hmm. You're, 
you're tethered to a desk. Yeah. Right. It's, so it's a bit demeaning in that aspect. And within that, what comes along with it? Well, you're scheduled for your lunch. You're scheduled for your break. Essentially, you're told when to go use the bathroom. So here's all these things that make you feel like a child again. But you're not. You're an adult. You're an adult going through a very complex situation. So it, it really starts with the first 45 minutes of their first day of new hire training. I try to always take that on. And, and like, this is what the expectation is going to be. None of you as an employee, but you as a person in this community. So it starts off with just me introducing myself. This is how I got here. This is my family. And this is why they're important to me. This is how I got to this, this part of my life with being incredibly self-transparent on my failures. And that's kind of like the theme and the point is that most people don't succeed all the way up. In fact, they fail their way up, meaning they make mistakes, learn from mistakes, they apply it. Mm-hmm. But then I even go into my personal life. I go into my personal challenges with depression and anxiety um, and how that's been a challenge for me my entire life still is to this day and how this is what I do to cope with it. And the reason why I go into those, that level of personal detail is one, as a leader, you got to set the example. I can't expect my community to share and be transparent on their strengths and their opportunities if I'm not going to do so the same. So if I expect to learn something from you, I better expect to tell you that same thing about me. So first one, here it is. I'm very open. I'm also open for the fact that I'm, I'm dyslexic. You're going to see it in my email. It used to be a huge like embarrassment for me. Just acknowledge it. Yeah. And it makes me a human, not just this figurehead. So it allows a lot more feedback for me to come back up. But the other big part of it is now we start having people talk about their opportunities. We have people talk about the fact that they have challenges with mental health. Now that they're talking about it, they can work together for solutions. And that just really sets the tone for you are not hired to be a number. You are not hired to repeat a script. You are hired because of you. Being hired is an accomplishment here. We do not do it for skill sets. We do it for personalities. Um, a very similar or simple test at the end of the kind of you know, experiences. Is this somebody you want to go to dinner with? Nope. I don't. They'd be a great agent. Don't get me wrong. Like they yeah. discipline, they follow the resources, do all this, but they just cannot distinguish themselves in a group. They don't stick out. They don't leave a memorable experience for me. Well, then they're not going to for their customer. Um, so it really kind of starts within that very first conversation, the very first day. You guys are at something different. Uh, we really try, because of that, we really try hard not to hire prior contact center employees because they bring with them the well what's my handle time need to be right i don't have a goal for you for handle time i i don't believe an agent should ever be held to a handle time expectation i have my managers on a whole handle time because you need to look at the business but if you tell an agent you need to be down to a certain handle time they're going to be like all right cool this is the call that i'm skipping steps this is the customer I'm breezing through you. Like I'm finding ways to hit the number versus the experience. What we hold it to people to is a whole time, just as somebody's not on hold for 15 minutes, right? right? Or after call, so they're not documenting for 30, but it comes down to your KPIs and it comes down to your expectations. And the expectations is be the best version of yourself and do it within these guidelines, um, which are very, very loosely defined so that you can personalize it because the customer wants the personal experience. So we try and take a very um, methodical approach of, do we need a policy on this? No, then let's not write one. Um, Let's just coach. Let's just keep coaching. Um, Policies are generally in place to hold people accountable to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to do that. But more of what we want to do is just keep driving 
that connection, that, that human element, the fact that everyone is unique in their own way and you just got to find out how. And then when you figure that out, then you can service them the best of your ability. So teaching why questions and asking those things. Um, that's the approach that we take more than just, hey, here's a policy where you guys can do whatever you right. want. The whole thing is like that. This is your guy's office. This is your company. This is your experience. Help us lead you. Mm-hmm. It's very much we lead from behind. Cool. I like is that. that. Sorry, go ahead, Kristen. No, I was just going to ask, um, so besides like whole time, what metrics are you tracking on like an agent level? Mm. Yeah, so there's, you know, your standard business ones just to make okay. sure that there's fair consistency, right? So what's the number of contacts that they're getting, number of yeah. calls, um, schedule adherence, just to make sure that, again, your you're consistent accountability and attendance, um, CSAT, and then their, their QA score. Okay. That's basically it. Um, from the agent level it's really just their and their uh, csat score and their volume of workload um because they do email they do phone calls the balance back and forth we also do dual sided so they'll talk to restaurants they'll talk to customers um but i really try not to put a lot of kpis in front of in front of them now you have to put some uh mm, when absolutely. i came to open table the they had a a philosophy of do the best you can like we're not trying to measure we're not trying to micromanage people but amazingly, that was the first thing that people asked when I got there. Is like, can we get some KPIs? <laughs> yeah, why? I just want to know if I did a good job today. Yeah, mm, people exactly. like to have that that kind of benchmarking, right? But yep. no, I like I like that approach. I find oftentimes, like when you have those tight metrics, it can be just like an additional stressor and make people kind of panic a little bit. So that's interesting, absolutely. Yeah, I think you know the fewer the better. Yeah. Um, the other two is, and again, BPO world. I saw this all the time. Is like you know, in order to hit this metric, you can't hit this metric. Like they're physically impossible. Yeah. And so the answer was, well, this one we're getting bonus on. So you're going to hit that one. Yeah. Well, that changes. Mm-hmm. That changes too much. And to ask an agent to focus on this action and then focus on this action and then caught in between of all the other expectations that I've been trained. It's like, no, you need to make this job as easy as possible. Instead, what the constant approach is like, well, an agent is the lowest paid person in our organization. That makes them faceless. That means they're underrepresented in this conversation. Put it all on them because the VPs, the high ups, they're staying, their faces, their names are existent. But the CSR rank is always disrespected in that way. And I do believe that they have the most difficult jobs in companies because they have to handle everything. They got to know everything. So therefore make that job as easy as possible. Eliminate barriers, eliminate burdens, eliminate annoyances. If there's a way to make it simpler for them to call out, then do it like that job needs to be as easy as it can be because it is so challenging is this a leadership style that you adopted from that like set by open table as an organization or is this something that you've taken through your own career and developed on your own yeah it's it's definitely the journey um mm-hmm. i've been with open table for about th- almost three years now but no my approach has definitely been on what i've seen what I've experienced, what has failed for me, and then what has failed for others, and then most importantly, what has succeeded. Um, and again, it comes down to that experience as an agent. So one of the things that I've, I, w- I was lucky in that I was able to, to fast track up. I, I didn't stay a CSR very long, but there's, there's events, there's legacy experiences that stick out right. of both like, that's how you do it, and that's how you don't do right. it. And, 
and at every level. And one of the first ones that jumped out to me is I was a, as a CSR at an outsourcer. We had a, a bonus program where we had to hit the scorecard from our client. And it was a pass grade, pass fail system. I failed a call the first day of the month. This guy who sat next to me failed a call on the last day of the month. The manager at the time pulled him into his office, chewed him out because that last call statistically was the, the marker for they didn't hit bonus. Wow. So he made him go to every one of his supervisors and personally apologize that he didn't hit the bonus. And I was so infuriated that by that because just looking mm -hmm. at math, why didn't I have to do that? Yeah. My call yeah. failed the same month. It has the same statistical impact as your does. Why didn't I have to? And then I realized that so many times at all levels that leadership is simply looking at the now. And then what is the now? The now is a reflection of the problem that happened yesterday. And then it's all about blame. And like, I don't care the, where the blame starts. I care about where the problem, the solution starts. Um, it just, you just see these really disturbing things happen to people in American companies on American soil because it's an outsourced call center. It seems like it's okay because it's a non-union shop. It feels like it's okay. So a lot of my desire to grow within the support org was to get to a director role so I could change it all. All right. That's and you're cool. like, you're not going to treat people like this. That's not the way to do it. But where my ignorance was, when I got to the director role of a BPO, it was very much not the company. It was the business. That is a penny's business. There is not the affordability to invest in people. 99% mm -hmm. occupancy is what it is. Those are sweatshops. Yeah. So that's what brought me to own and operate it because I wanted to have an impact. Um, but really, a lot of it was my father. Uh, my, my father himself worked in call centers. Hmm. And he was a director for UPS for 30 years, but there was one wow. conversation that I always remembered that ultimately defined my, my philosophy for leadership. Um, I remember uh, it was about nine years ago. My mother had just passed away of cancer, like literally like two days prior. So I'm at my dad's house. We're sitting on his front steps. He has this very annoying personality quirk where every time somebody calls him, no matter what the scenario is, he answers it. So like in the middle of dinner, <laughs> hello, how can I help you? I'm like, dad, don't answer the call. So he's answering the phone. And for three straight days, all I keep hearing is the same story about the last moments of my mother's life. And it's, you kind of get tired of it. And all of a sudden you hear a different conversation. I'm like, okay. So he comes over. I'm like, what was that about? You know, some guy I talked to about 20 years ago, just called me to give me an update. On what's going on? I'm like, yeah, what do you say? He's like, well, I spent 30 minutes with him about 20 years ago, gave him feedback, spent another 20 minutes a few weeks later. And then that was all I heard. Well, apparently he's an executive. He's doing quite well. He's got, you know, houses and cars. And he called me up and said, it started with you. And so here is a gentleman, who, my father, who was beating himself up because he felt like he had done everything he humanly could do possible to, to save his wife, which he couldn't do. She had cancer. She was passing away. So he's beating himself up. I could have done more. I could have done more. I could have done more. And then at that moment, a gentleman calls him that hasn't spoken to him in 20 years and just said, you know, my life is a success. And I equate it to 30 minutes you gave me 20 years ago, and you probably don't even remember. And my takeaway from that experience is that when you put yourself out there to have a connective conversation and to share with somebody just what you think they can do to improve the status of who they are, you never know, one, the impact that can have. Two, when that impact can come back and even come around to you. And so on the day of all days where he felt like he was the most worthless person, somebody reached out and said, I have a life and my family has a life and my kids have a life because of you. And now all of a sudden that hurt doesn't go away, 
because it's still your wife and she's gone, but there's a different level of success that you feel. And that even though you're doing this in the selfless reason, it will come back. And that you can have an impact that will significantly exceed you. Every business I've essentially been a part of or team I've built or business department that I've worked with has completely changed, augmented or gone away. But those relationships and that impact and the mm -hmm. coaching I've done, that's there forever. And so when I, you ultimately have to look back and ask, why did I not spend 40 hours a week with my children? What was I doing? Well, I wasn't selling a used car. So good about that. But, you know, driving contact center volume is really not something to celebrate. Like that's better than spending time with kids. No, but having an impact on another life. Yes, that's worthy. And that's what I believe we do. And if you take that mantra, how we do it, well, it's through coaching and taking customer support phone calls. But what we do is we develop and, and encourage people to be a better version of themselves, like I said. And it's a lot of it is just stemmed from those experiences that I've had throughout my career um, and throughout my life you know, of what I wanted to get out of an employer and a leader. And at open table kind of started as a, as a test case. Can I lead this way and have success or is it just going to burn in my face? Right. And it, it's worked beautifully. Uh, we turn around the office in like 90 days. Like we just got one of the top 100 workplaces in Denver. Um, so oh, awesome. always gets the best employee survey results within the organization. So it's proven that it works. People want to be led in this way, not dictated down to. It's an incredible story. I think I got, I got chills there. I was just going to say that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for, for maybe um, support professionals who are leading a support organization that, are, that don't have those you know, pillars in their life, like your father or mm -hmm. you know, a, you know, a couple decades of experience in this role, what, what would you do or what would you advise them to do to uh, become a better leader and, and maybe take some of these pointers and implement them into their own budding support organizations or, or moreover, where do you hang out? What content do you consume yep. that helps you, you know, keep up with, uh, with the trends? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things I would say. The, um, one of the big ones is I, I really adopted this philosophy uh, by this book called question behind the question uh, by John Miller, QBQ. Okay. Um, in that, Asking a negative phrase question, such as, a, you know, why won't they do this for me? Why won't they do that? Literally yields you nothing. It just wastes time. Yeah. It just fosters negativity. So asking the question behind the question that can yield action. You know, why won't my company give me, you know, this system? Because they don't have the money. So just complaining isn't going to solve it. Mm -hmm. What can I do to raise the money? What can I do to get away from the cost? What can I do in the meantime and in the absence of? That triggers action. Mm -hmm. So the more that you ask the question that yields action, the more your team will. And not just sit there and complain like, well, why don't they train me to do this? Versus mm -hmm. what can I go find out to solve this problem? Um, and I push this book, again, with all levels. So I'm meeting with agents all the time and we're talking about this stuff. We're talking about my opportunities, we're talking about their opportunities. And so the biggest thing I would say is to support organization leaders, you can never lose the connectivity with those agents. Um, before COVID, so I can't advise you to do this today, <laughs> but before COVID, my favorite thing to do every day and to do every evening, every day I, when I got to the office, I walked around the entire office, I shook everybody's hand. 
just to say good morning. I appreciate them and thank you for doing this insanely hard job. And then at the end of the day, same thing. The last thing I do between the office is walk around, shake everybody's hand. Um, what you gain out of that is one, your human human connection is, is huge. They recognize that you're not just a figurehead, but also you gain a lot by shaking somebody's hand every single day and noticing they didn't make eye contact with me today. Hey, supervisor, what's going on? They didn't grab my hand as hard as they usually do. Hey, supervisor, what's going on? Hey, manager, follow up. So you're there within the issues and the element that your agents have challenges versus why they put them on corrective action. They hung up on the customer. Why they hang up on the customer? They had a bad day. Okay, mm -hmm. well, shook their hand. They had a bad day. Go figure what it is. Yeah, why? So you're not now putting out fires. You're in front of the thing, and the thing is always around your people. So stay connected to that employee issues. Stay connected to their challenges. Ask those questions. And then the last one I would say is that way too often, people look at tenure and experience as a good thing, meaning that they're going to come in, they're going to solve our, our problems because they've done this before. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think the first 90 days plot process and philosophy, what's your 90 day action plan is such a crock because the first thing you should do is ask questions. You shouldn't have answers mm -hmm. because every question is unique to the problem and any problem associated to a person is unique period. So what worked at a company X and in my past experience doesn't necessarily work here. Now it's a reference of, of success and failure, but you still have to customize it. So it's like every time, what's your 90 day plan? To ask questions for 30 days, then figure out the next 60. But ask questions. Don't dictate answers and don't force agendas. Yeah, there's a style I like to work in, but I'm one. I have an office of 150 people. I'm the one that's going to adapt. It's not the 150. So ask constant, continuous, and deep-seated questions. And the more you know your people by connecting, by putting yourself in that space, the better your question is. and then you action those. Not, I want us to be this level of an organization. Here's my roadmap to get there. Now hire the people to come along the way. Good chances are nobody in that conversation is going to be there when you get to that destination, except for maybe the leader. My approach is, who are we? Which you find out by asking. And then what's the best version of ourselves? By you find out by asking and then set the parameters there to be there. That way everybody is there will still be there. And then as you define that next level, next generation of where you want to go, those are your future hiring decisions. You can't just turn things over around. It's, that's chaos within the perspective of the individuals that are having it. You need to help them get there and not just like, oh, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring in all my people. That's not leading. Mm -hmm. That's you taking a team and going from one place to another. That's just following each other. A leader should be able to go into any environment with any makeup and have success. And you do that by asking questions and not making it about you, make it about them. Um, Cause they're the constant oh, leadership yeah. constantly changes. Yep. It's that legacy of that front line, which is inherent and it, it, like train from etch new higher class, X new higher class. That's the constant. That's what you got to get in front of. I'm going to come, I'm going to go. How do I make this stay? They're staying. So it's gotta be what they can achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, that's also how you have succession plan. And that's also how you don't have dependency on you as an individual. Like I can go on vacation and sleep, right? And not worry because it's ratios based. It's organizational based, but it's based off of what the, the employee, the frontline employees are and what they need versus what they aren't and don't want to do. And it's just a different approach that way. Ultimately, you will live and die in the call center world by your culture.
because if your culture sucks, no one's coming to work. No one's coming to work. You're constantly having turnover, constant turnover. There's your budget. There, there's where you're losing your P&L. But you have that culture that people want to come to work. They want to work with each other. They want to hang out with their leadership team. Even if they hate their customer base, they'll still come to work. They'll mm -hmm. still do their job. You'll get the give a damn factor. And that's what it's, it's about. So it's always on your culture. And your agents make up your culture, not you. So put your ego away and just ask a lot of questions. I'm going to have to take some notes from this podcast so I can <laughs> sleep when I, when I choose to take it a couple of days off. <laughs> Important to get the rest. That yeah. way you can always be your best, right? That's right. I think you do that to yourself, though. Yeah, of course <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, it's usually the case. Yeah. Kristen, do you have a, 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 any questions? I have just one remaining one, but it's going to take us off into a different direction. No, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I hate to break up the, like, the amazing uh, flow uh, of this conversation, um, but I would, uh, I'd be remiss if I, didn't, if I didn't ask this before we wrap up here. How do you look at knowledge management when it comes to you know, enabling your reps in frontline tasks. So like you said, they're on, they're on a call remote or not remote. What tools are you giving them to accelerate support? Yeah. So that's a great question. That's a perfect example where I think support technologies and philosophies are a generation behind. Right. Right. So right now I just don't have the budget and I'm dealing with legacy tech stacks that give them like good dynamic tools. There's some good things out there that give them that are all AI driven mm -hmm. that, you know, agent profile of who's fantastic had that same question. This is what they said. And they'll just send it to the agent. That's right. all great. Um, where what, again, what you can control though, is your style, the, the content that you do create within your knowledge guide and, yep. and how do you visually set it up? Um, so before getting in the context world, uh, I was actually a uh, aspiring artist. I, I went to an art college. I wanted to really get into arts. It didn't work out for me, but the thing that kind of stuck is the an, an image says a thousand words, right? And then photos go very far. Imagery goes very far, but it also not only goes far for telling the story, it goes far for bringing somebody in to read the story. Right. So as uh, it was something I've done in prior companies, when I got to open table, it was very much a focus for me on the knowledge guide is like, first of all, you have to make this thing aesthetically pleasing. You can't have all these different graphics all over the place. You can't have hyperlinks out, out the wazoo all over the place. It's exhaustive to look at. You have to think in theory, someone's going to do this for 10, typically two to three minutes per contact. Um, this is going to be the thing you want them in most often. So it needs to be inviting and it needs to be encouraging, it needs to be pleasant, but secondarily, the information needs to be solid. So the, the other part that just kills me is this is a world where people are expected to be fast and efficient, incredibly knowledgeable, and all of this while somebody who has zero patience is on a phone with you. <laughs> yeah. So let's set you up for success by giving you an encyclopedia of information. Yeah. So my expectations for my team is, all right, here's the goal. It needs to look like a tweet. It needs to be explainable in 144 characters. You need to live and breathe within this very consolidated content. Give me the TLDR, but even to an extreme. Because if you do not catch your audience and think of it as an author trying to get, a blogger trying to get an audience, you have three sentences to catch your audience and then grab them. Mm -hmm. Same thing in your writing knowledge content. 
you need to wow, you need to excite, you need to entertain your, your audience, but also don't flood them with details, bullet it when you can, um, make it very easy to follow and break it up. The second part of it too, is that you need to constantly have, I think a three prong approach. Somebody who is managing new articles, making sure they're adhering to this style. Mm-hmm. Someone who is constantly consolidating articles because as new mm-hmm. processes come up, the searching is, is a, a, a mess. And the last is someone who's always eliminating articles. Uh, mm-hmm. That last one is where companies typically f- forget to do. It's yeah. like, well, why do we need to purge it? Somebody might call. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to slow down your search functionality, which every human being expects all searches now to be like Google. And it's mm-hmm. not like that. It's yeah. It's all word specific stuff so you're going to flood and slow down your search which is going to be a reason why an agent doesn't use the article because an article comes up that might get a phone call once a year out of a million contacts mm-hmm. that customer can wait yeah all right eliminate that article we don't need it that way the system is smooth it's fast mm-hmm. um, and it's always the most relevant information but to me this is a system that it needs to be one of your highest investments Mm-hmm. You have a training team, you need a knowledge team. You need a knowledge team, I think, more than you need a QA team. QA is mm-hmm. going to do Agreed. one, maybe 3% of the calls. Knowledge should be prevalent on 100% of the calls. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the biggest thing for me, is setting it up in a very easy to digest segments of information, not these long encyclopedias of information. Because the path of least resistance, think of it in this context. What is the path of least resistance? Click on it. Okay, I'm going to go what I thought I heard in training or what I thought I heard in the break room. So here's the answer mm-hmm. versus, oh, there it is. Clear as day. Here's your answer. Um, and it, it just extends into everything else. You know, it too long, not going to look. Let me just ask my, my senior CSR, or my <laughs> yeah. supervisor, or my QA, whatever it may be. Then that builds up. It's all about, again, making that job as easy as possible so it can be as self-fulfilling as possible. And the last one is, again, something I, I even physically measured this when I was a, a, a CSR because I wanted to grow. I wanted to move up. I wanted to be a senior CSR. And one of the ways I thought that I could do that is not deliver soup calls. And so I started tracking, like, how many soup calls I would have, what were the articles associated. And I'm, just, I'm not kind of OCD about things. But I started seeing other articles. Like, and when I started taking soup calls, like, it was the long content that people didn't want to dive into. I don't know. And so it turns into not a confident conversation, which then turns into an escalation. Um, and that's the X factor within a, a supervisor's day that blows them up. Like, so you have to constantly reduce your escalations. It's also a significantly more expensive call, but again, it goes down to making sure knowledge is easy to use and helps instill the confidence of the CSR by using this tool. And also they're confident that it's right because you're constantly working on updating it. But that's one that the companies typically miss the boat on investing in is is the knowledge system and tool now new technologies like i said with ai are getting pretty cool out there um we always have to be careful of that uh, one of the things i saw with speech analytics for example is that you know calls will come through we'll analyze it we'll spit it out and we'll tell you where to coach your team mm-hmm. two three years go by on that and now you have a supervisor that doesn't listen to calls entirely, let alone know how to take mm-hmm. phone calls. Now you have a gap between your supervisor mm-hmm. and your agent experience. Now you have basically a gap though, meaning that it's them versus us. And so I'm okay with speech analytics. I can do amazing things, but it will never be able to replace the value of a supervisor and an agent, being able to both understand the experience and the expectations of taking 
a phone call. And that comes from actually taking phone calls. Um, so th that's like my only little concern about some of these tech stack solutions is what is the, the apathy that comes from that. And it's just something you need to manage, manage to and find solutions. But I agree. I mean, I, I think that it's important to not remove um, at least a human component yep. in that support process. At least that's, that's how we look at solving the problem with our customers. So I, I completely empathize with that. Um, well, Matthew, this has been um, one of the best conversations uh, I think I've ever had, and I could continue <laughs> to go forever. Uh, but alas, people's uh, tension spans are dwindling, I'm sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's uh, it's time to uh, to wrap it up. Um, but we really appreciate having you on the show. Kristen, mm -hmm. do you have any final last uh, words? Yeah, no, I just uh, second uh, what Chris had said. It's been really great chatting with you today. Um, did you have any last minute um, notes that you wanted to throw in there? No, it, an absolute privilege. Um, uh, these are things that I'm uh, very passionate about. So I just appreciate the opportunity to get on my, my soapbox and, and share with you guys all. Um, you know, it's just every day if we could help out one person just a little bit more, it makes the world a little bit better, right? It's those cheesy Absolutely. sayings. Yeah are they stay for a reason and then COVID in my world in my experience have really validated a lot of them Absolutely. and i i can't have an impact on somebody in india or china yeah. Or, yeah. or europe that's going through some hard times but i can have an impact on my employee mm -hmm. um and more of the word I like to use is my friend and so that i mean that's why every email goes out as friends and take i think it's important for everyone to take the time to do a mental exercise and reflect on what more can i do to reduce the stress of those around me so that hopefully someone can do that for me and i can have a little bit better day because we're all struggling for this in one way or another um whether it be your business whether it be your experiences whether it be your relationships or just your isolation but this is a time where i i, I think the universal language is love mm -hmm. and and that's something i like to to lead by and I think that's something that we all can do a little bit of a job, better job of. Absolutely. I think that's a great message pre-COVID, post-COVID, yeah. during COVID, Agreed. 100%. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences, Matthew. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Bye. It was my pleasure. And thank you guys again for having me on. All, all right. right. Have a good day. Thanks you so too. much. Bye. Huge thanks to Matthew for joining us on this episode. You know, Matthew highlighted some great points about knowledge management and how lightweight, aesthetically pleasing formats of information are best for getting your support team to leverage your support docs. If you didn't know, you can actually use Obi to build this knowledge. Obi has a built-in knowledge base that supports markdown and rich content editing for crafting beautiful support guides. You can also build a lightweight, easy to use, and easy to update bank of FAQs right within Obi as well. And best of all, Obi natively integrates with Slack, which is where these questions end up anyways. And in light of a huge shift towards distributed work, Obi was recently made free for personal use. Not only that, but Obi has a browser extension, currently available on Chrome, which makes it especially easy to quickly search through your knowledge guides while you're on the phone with a customer, all without leaving whichever sport desk you might be using. So head over to obi.ai slash accelerating support and try Obi for free today.